everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is uh, episode number 510 being recorded August 22nd, 2018. I'm Alan Malventano. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And then there's there's an Alex. He's over he's yeah, over, yeah. over there. Yep. He's going to contribute since we are missing a Ryan and a Ken. Uh, they're I mean, still, I think they're on airplanes now? Maybe, no. Maybe not oh. yet. They're about like the seeping. They're about to be on airplanes coming from uh, the land of fragrance in Germany, Cologne. That's in Germany, right? Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were over there for the NVIDIA event. We will talk more about the results of said NVIDIA event as we uh, get on with the show. Um, podcast at PCPro.com is an email address that I don't know why is in the show notes anymore. <laughs> Because it will never go away. It's going to remain okay. there for eternity. Yeah. It's, I bet people have are still emailing that. I, I will make it a note to uh, ask there Ryan it is. about Every time. That. Yeah. It's in the show notes every time. Every single time. Um, <sighs> PCPro.com slash podcast is where you'll find the show notes for this show and uh, prior episodes. I don't know how far back that goes, but probably pretty far. Um, actually, I think those posts probably go all the way back to number one. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Whether or not the content is there and the links work to it is another story. I think archive.org or something goes as some. Anyway, uh, twitter.com slash pcper, where you find, uh, you know, slightly faster updates to what's going on, kind of breaking new stuff um, and whatnot. Mailing list which is uh, pcpro.com slash subscribe. If you give us your name and an email address, uh, we just have like a blast that goes out. Uh, did the blast go out this week? Did you do it? I don't have access to it. Oh. Womp womp. Crap. Okay. Well, then you didn't get notified about this one, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how to fix that for next time Ryan and Ken are both out at the same time. Usually they're both not both gone at the same time, so one or the other does it. You have a failing bus factor here. I I actually know that I have access to do it, but I don't know if it still works because I think the last time I did it was like four years ago or something. Um. Anyway, uh, patreon.com slash pcper is where you can uh, kick us some coin to help us, you know, like keep the lights on and do extra things for content wise and uh, um, things like that, such as uh, pcper mailbag, of which. We did one. Ryan did one last week before he left. Um, actually, I didn't. I wasn't here when he recorded that one, so I kind of need to watch that one myself. He's been ninjing those in. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good at that. And if he doesn't cover it, you know, me or Josh or somebody steps in and takes care of it. Um, about that mailbag, if you like that content and you know have a question of your own, don't forget to post that question in either the comments of the article on the site. Or the comments of the YouTube video itself. Probably more likely to see it in the comments of the site. Because um, sometimes YouTube comments do weird things as far as how they sort them. Like exist? Uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, uh, merch is uh, joshtech with two Ks dot com. Well, is that K like real hard or is it kind of just, just tech? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like something like that. 
Um, yeah. That'll shoot you over to our Teespring store where we have some a choice selection of T-shirts. And I still need to get that print and hang it up. Prints and mugs, baby. Yeah. Look at that print. Look at it. The, the Josh Walrus. Oh, 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 oh. there you go. Oh, there, you yeah. go. there you go. Yeah. There it is. But the printer needs a larger reticle. We need it bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we need that bigger. I think I got the bigger one, the 25-inch. But, you know, it's it's an, it's an off-our wall. What do you expect? Yeah, that wall's further away than... Uh, sure you know, is. Objects on wall are further than they appear. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Objects on wall are more awesome than they appear. Well, that too. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, I, I still need to get the mug. I know I say this every week, and I still forget to do it. Get it. But... You know, we have we have the mug somewhere. Ken has one. We do. I've got one. You've got <laughs> it's in the kitchen right now. Oh, it's not within it's reach. It's not within arm's reach. Oh, man. Oh. If it's not in arm's reach, it's not there. Think of how many people no. can't complete their bingo now. I know. Mm-hmm. Choose something else. <sighs> if you dare. All right. Well, um, so we can get into uh, the weekend review. First up. Um, ARM releases first public CPU roadmap targeting Intel performance. Really, Josh? Really? Okay, so, you know, if, if you go back ages ago, ARM didn't really have much of a PR gig going. And then, I'd say back 2010, 2011, 2012, that kind of time period, they started, you know, talking to people about it. I think we'd covered some ARM things at that time. And of course, you know, in 2008 was the iPhone, which was powered by an ARM CPU. Uh, but, you know, the company has always been kind of secretive about what they're doing. Uh, they they also, when they announced something, it typically took about three years from when they announced it to when, when these products would actually show up in, in cell phones and, and, and other end user devices. And it was just kind of, I wouldn't say like like a days ago, but it was not hurried. And then many things happened. Uh, you know, Intel tried to get in with the the Atom and the cell phones. Um, we've got the Risk Five that has been rising up. Um, there are other competition competitors out there. Same in the you know Qualcomm and and Apple and Samsung all design their own parts uh, because they are architectural licensees. And so ARM has really, really started to push themselves. And so the A76 that was uh, announced this past summer is their latest core, and the performance on it looks pretty impressive. Now, we haven't actually seen any actual parts, but in all the simulations and whatnot, and apparently, you know, ARM has pretty decent simulations because the stuff they've released before have all kind of fit in that same, you know, kind of envelope as, as the simulations have shown in terms of performance and capabilities and power consumption. And so they're doing something that we have not seen until this point. They've <clears throat> announced an actual roadmap. So we've got the A76 that was announced. And then in next year, their new core will be named demos and it'll be produced at seven nanometer and their 2020 core is called hercules and it will be produced at at, you know on an advanced seven nanometer process as well as the cutting edge five nanometer that 
should, in theory, be available at that party. Now, what's interesting about this is that with better design, more experience, larger design groups, they're really starting to push performance. And so if you scroll down a little bit, we can see that they're aiming at Intel Core i5 15-watt TDP processors at... uh, at their at their not base clock but their turbo speed. So this is a last generation part. They have the 8000 series out, which apparently is a little bit better. Turbo is a little bit faster, a little bit better IPC, not huge, but we can see the current generation Core A7 uh, Cortex A76 is very very competitive with the Core i5-7300U, and that's a 3 gigahertz processor versus 3.4, 3.5 gigahertz. Now, we've, we've got to have some caveats here. It's, uh, what, spec int 2006. Yeah, it's just integer so performance, that, right? What's that? That's just integer performance, right? Integer math? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, it doesn't tell you a whole lot about user experience. It doesn't see, you know, it, it it's not multi-threaded. This is a, a single core, single thread. Um, but the, the thing about that, that kind of performance, it's still pretty impressive and it's under a five watt TDP part. And so here's it going against the Intel 15 watt parts and comes very close in performance, at least in this benchmark, uh, with only less than five Watts. So they're looking to really push the laptop market. I mean, they've got cell phones on lockdown. I mean, pretty much every cell phone you get out there, it's going to be ARM-powered. There's nothing else. I mean, Intel tried, Intel failed for a variety of reasons, but now ARM is is looking to expand into laptops. Now, the idea of, of getting a 5-watt, you know, sub-5-watt TDP part into laptops is that it will be an always-on part. It'll go into sleep modes or, or low power modes that will be about, you know, a half a watt. And uh, when you start looking at that kind of battery consumption, I mean, it's going to last not just all day, but potentially a couple of days in, in just an idle mode. And that's far better than what Intel and AMD and, and these other guys can can do in, in these laptop type architectures. Um you're going to have, you know, less expensive laptops because less cooling is needed, uh, less battery is needed to get, you know, similar performance. And so it's going to be a less expensive part. And ARM really, really wants to get into this. And we're going to see a lot more of this when it comes to be the ARM TechCon in October, I believe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, with uh, Demos and Hercules, they expect performance to continue to rise. So they think it's about two and a half times performance from the previous A73, which is two generations ago, up to what Hercules is now. And that, you know, you can kind of see in that graph where Intel has gone with the Core i5 series mobile parts, and it has not been nearly as as large a change as what, you know, ARM is uh, is expecting. So, um the company is pretty aggressive, and their design groups are really good. They've they've all had a lot of experience. Uh, they've they've 
designed multiple products throughout the past, you know, 10 years uh, that have all been, you know, pretty cutting edge for mobile. And now they're look to be encroaching in on Intel type performance at a really, really low power. So, so Josh with the, was there a change on the 72 to 73 where they went and started adding more pipelines? Well, was there like a fundamental shift somewhere along here? Okay. So they have alternating groups that design products. So, like the A72 was a derivative of a previous one, but the A73, I think if I remember this right, it was a brand new design. And so they went like from a three-wide architecture in A72 to a two-wide architecture in A73, but they actually increased overall performance because there are many different factors in, in, in how a chip works. And so mm-hmm. now they've gone Back to three wide, and I think this A76 is is a four wide decode. Um, it you know it, it design implementation. I mean that that counts for a lot, mm-hmm. and so it's not like they they really had a massive shift, but they had a lot of very very small changes in in their architecture throughout time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the group in Cambridge designs one, and then a group in France designs another, and they share that information and what works and what doesn't and what they can improve on. And, and they, 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 you know, really, they do good at, at synthesizing new designs that work seemingly really well. Sweet. All right. Uh, next up, what do we got? Uh, Lee did a power supply review. I'm shocked <laughs> that Lee did a power supply review. No. Um, NZXT E850 digital power supply. Um, modular power supply. Ooh, it's a mini USB connector. Wonder what that's for. That's for the cam. Oh, uh, yeah. Is it like good? <laughs> well, I mean... They don't you have, can't just have a power supply anymore, right? You've got to have a fully monitored power supply. Right, right, right. And right. so this is like the, the similar that what uh, Corsair and them do, but NZXT does it. And so they stick in uh, Corsair's a little... Been at, uh, Corsair's been at that for a while, though. So like, oh yeah, you know, these guys are playing catch-up in that regard. Uh, well, in a way, but I mean, that USB plug goes directly into a digital signal processor. So you can delve deeper in than some of the other ones. Sweet. Although with the new generations, they're about equivalent. Yeah, I see it's given all of the vitals you would need there. And there's even more uh, like options on the left side there. You can flip through different things from the looks of it. Huh. That's pretty cool. I'm kind of old school on my power supply still. I just, I just want them to work. <laughs> and like, <laughs> you know... I, I feel need... the same way about stereo equipment. Modern receivers are just so complex. I just, yeah, I just want something to work. Just need sound yeah. to come out and stuff. Yeah. I just need power to come out, preferably at the correct voltage. Yeah. <laughs> it's not coming out right. Just strip the wires out and put them back in. Everything's fixed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, looks good. I mean, the caps aren't that impressive, but they look pretty high quality. Yeah, I mean, quality parts. Uh, let's see, what did he... Uh... What did he do for the conclusion? 
Where are we? Uh, so what we got? Uh, six fifty was one hundred thirty bucks. Eight fifty was one hundred fifty bucks. It's actually not a bad price for an eight fifty. Usually uh, a little bit high. Yeah, but and they usually pretty? like spike up around the eight fifty mark. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's got the monitor in it, so you're you're paying for that DSP and such. Right. Right. Uh, we gave it a gold. Uh. 80 plus gold certified, but he got at least 90% efficiency under 50% load. I don't know if that's the certification or what he got. I think he, uh, yeah, I think it exceeded the, the cert. Yeah, because right? doesn't the cert require it to go to like 90% load or something to get certified at that level? Uh, Well, yeah, all, like all the way up to 90%, it would, it would have to be 80% efficient, I believe, right? Mm. Modular cables. It's got a fanless mode. All Japanese electrolytic capacitors. Rated to 105C. What is FDB? Something fluoro bearing? A fluid dynamic bearing. Ah. Yep. Uh, All the that. cool kids are doing it now. Oh. Yeah. What's funny is it's like a decade ago or more when that was like first a thing. And then it kind of went away. And like, then they realized those PSUs are still running after 10 years, so they brought it back and slapped 10-year warranties on the PSUs. Yeah, yeah, like when it first came out, it was like this big deal with like this rifle, like rifle style, you know, like channels in the in the sleeve of the <laughs> bearing with fluid in there because that's what actually promoted like the, the fluid to like circulate within the bearing. Mm. And it was like such a bad, I don't remember which fan maker it was at the time that was that was like a huge deal. Um. Oh, no. It was initially in hard drives. Didn't the hard drives move to air bearings at one point? Well, in, like, server things that don't sit on their side. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Things bolted to the ground. Yeah, those those can have an air bearing. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it was initially in hard drives, and then... Fans would either just have like a sleeve bearing, like a standard sleeve bearing, or ball bearings. Yeah. Right. Panaflow. Um, Why not get Panaflow? Yeah. But there were, I, I kind of swore there, <laughs> there were, were a few some, others, but that was like the big one. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. yeah. I know there were some fans that, you know, were doing that. It was like a huge deal. And it made the fan cost like twice as much at the time. And it was like, just for a bearing? Bearing's like three cents. But anyway, worth it. I digress. Um, Let's see. Uh, Chris uh, threw out another, yet another, uh, in this case, mouse review. Uh, Logitech G Pro Wireless and G Pro Gaming mice. Looks like basically all of the standard specs, although, well, yeah, yeah. USB report rate up to one kilohertz, so one millisecond response. Uh, Yep, yep, yep. I mean, it seems like you're kind of standard. It looks like an update on their design, basically, like newer revision. Um, notice that these don't have, like, numbers. It's just a mouse. Well, yeah, but before they had, like, you know, 610 or whatever, the Logitech was it's always... just a mouse, G. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the pro wireless version is 150 and the standard G pro is 70. That's, that seems high, but those are the prices straight from Logitech. Uh, I would suspect that you might find these cheaper on like 
Amazon and whatnot once they're... Those things better be built like a tank. Uh, I mean, they, they look pretty much like they would be, right? Like they're pretty stout looking. Um, they got uh, buttons. swappable buttons. Swappable buttons, yeah. Um, One's amphibious, right? The wireless Am- has buttons on both sides. Sorry. Although, wait, or is that both models that can do buttons on both sides? I think they're both wireless, aren't they? Mm. No, 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 no. Sorry, no, no, no. One's wired. No, 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 no. One's wireless. One's wired. Yeah. One, one's wireless. I thought it was just you could detach the wire but no well the wireless well, one you can you just can't put it back yeah 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 <laughs> yeah the wireless one has the what seems to be now standard it's just a, a slightly modified usb uh what was it micro usb with like an extra little couple of spades on it for strain relief so it will plug into the wireless mouse and it just kind of transforms it into a wired version that will that will then be charging um and then you unplug the mouse from that thing, and then there's a little puck, like a little adapter that has the uh, the really tiny dongle um, wireless receiver on it that you just plug into the end of that same cable. Um, mm. Makes the charging thing pretty seamless. Actually, the mouse on Ryan's desk, same kind of thing. Um, it's pretty handy. Um uh, you know, because then when the mouse does die, you just unplug it from one thing, plug the mouse into the cable, and then boom, you just keep on going. Let like a half an hour go by or whatever, and usually it's charged, and you swap back to wireless if you want. Um, lighting and software. Okay, so this is going to use the same standard, kind of like Logitech. Well, it's a newer version of the Logitech software now that just has like a cleaner look to it, but... Um, basically same kind of thing. It's the same software that, uh, it does this, uh, light sync thing where you can do the same colors for your Logitech keyboard and your Logitech mouse. Um, they also integrated, I don't know if you guys have toyed around with that at all, but like they integrated the Logitech webcam stuff into it as well. So, Hmm. well, I'm not, yeah. So like you open up the software and there's usually just a, a, like a tab along the bottom for like each, each different kind of Logitech device. And it still recognizes my 518. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes. I mean, it goes the, all the way. The back. LEDs don't work so well, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'd be curious minutes. what the sensor is. Uh, it's right because yeah, it, they listed it. Hero sixteen K TM, right? Like it's this brand new sensor. Yeah, and like literally every single other mouse on the market's got that Pixar one, the thirty three eighty nine or whatever it is, which also goes up to sixteen K. I assume these also still have the accelerometers in them. We so pretty much all do thing, now. I guess, right? Hmm. Hmm. I'm just curious if they've rebranded it or if uh, they've actually done their own. I mean, it's a cool looking mouse. I noticed it has the uh, blank built into the bottom there. If you have the wireless charging mat, uh, comes with a replacement puck that you swap in. Um. I don't know if Chris had that mat to test with, but like it's, we've tested that uh, that similar kind of thing in the past, and it worked well. Hmm. All right, well, uh, I guess uh, you know we'll just have to see what the street price of these things are before kind of giving final judgment. Hmm. All right, ready for news? 
Get to the news. The news everybody's been waiting for? Yep. Uh, don't switch to that. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, so NVIDIA announced some things. It, minor launch. Just, yeah. Inconsequential. Just, you know, just slight upgrade to things. Um, so RTX 2070, 2080, and 2080 Ti. All right, so that, uh, you know, put the rumors to bed as far as it's going to be 11XX or 20XX. Now we know it's 20. Um, we didn't suspect them to announce an RTX 2070. Um, but they did, at least paper launch style with specs and a notify me button on uh, GeForce.com for that part. Um, RTX 2080, RTX 2080 Ti. So what do we want to do for like, let's just get the prices out of the way first. Uh, okay. If you want to pre-order these now, and I stress now, if you want to pre-order them, uh, a 2080 is 800 bucks and a 2080 Ti is 1200 bucks. Now those prices come down theoretically, uh, because the MSRPs are supposed to be 700 and 1000 respectively, with those same two parts. So knock 100 off of one and a couple hundred off of the other one. Um, those prices are kind of high. Um, but. Kind of. But. but uh, first of all, the raster performance is probably an increase that's, as we'll see in like a, another post we have shortly after this one. But the raster performance increase is roughly proportional to the price increases or the prices of these compared to the the 10 series cards. Right? Um, in other words, the 2080 raster performance is roughly 50% higher than the raster performance of the 1080 and that's actually the same kind of increase you previously saw with the 1080 to the 1080 Ti, right? So the 2080 is kind of doing what the 1080 Ti used to do, and the price is around the same as what the 1080 Ti price was. Um, 2080 Ti, of course, probably being another 50% or so gain on that, which is why that price is 50% higher than the 1080 Ti, bringing it all the way up to a grand. Um, However... These cards have some extra stuff in them. Uh, where is that picture? Is that not in this article? Which one? Oh, there's a picture showing the breakdown of like what the cores looked like. Oh, that was in the uh, launch uh, from last week mm. from SIGGRAPH. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure where that... We don't have that in notes, do we? Nope, because we okay. talked about it last week. All right. So yeah, so there's extra cores that can do RTX, ray tracing. Uh, and as long as the game is coded for it, uh, then it does some pretty phenomenal looking stuff. Um, again, that varies wildly based on implementation, and there's a bunch of rumors and stuff going around because nobody's actually had like hands-on benchmark results with this yet. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of... A lot of variants here. Yeah, it's all going to depend on how, like, this is brand new tech, and the performance is going to vary based on how that tech has been implemented, you know, by the game engine maker, the, you know, 
anything, a bunch of different, a bunch of different variables are going to impact this. Think of uh, any other game and all of the various options, like quality options you get and their impact on performance. Now you have another thing that you're throwing in there. That's a very complicated thing to do that nobody has previously been doing real time on the fly like this in just a consumer GPU that you can just play a game on your desktop with, which is pretty amazing on its own. Um, For those who don't know what the heck this ray tracing thing is all about, it's basically just the ability to really accurately calculate uh, uh, reflections and shadows is basically right, guys. That's pretty much the, the deal. Right. Raster. Yeah, it's it's you know. it's a hybrid. I mean, they, they they've you know, it's still primarily a rasterization, but yeah. it can do certain ray tracing type tricks. And so, you know, you you have uh, screen space limitations with uh, rasterization. They don't necessarily exist with ray tracing. And so if you looked at any of the uh, the demos that they showed, um, it really kind of showed that stuff off and, and lighting reflections, shadows. These are all things that they can do with ray tracing, but they don't have to ray trace the entire scene. I mean, rasterization is is 40-plus years old, and they've done a lot of really interesting tricks to get it very, very efficient and a lot of tricks to make it kind of look like ray tracing, yeah. but obviously not with the, the massive overhead that, that ray tracing entails. And so they're they're doing multiple things in, in, in their RTX engine that can give you ray tracing type effects. And in many ways, this uh, this is very similar. And I hope you can't hear my wife yelling in the background at the kids. No, but now I'm interested. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> they don't understand the power of their own voices. But anyway, um, it's all about socks, too. They're, they're, they're yelling about socks. It's awesome. Sounds like a typical family argument. Yeah, 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 it is, it is. Uh, but anyway, it reminds me of, of GeForce 3 versus GeForce 2 Ultra. Uh, GeForce 2 Ultra was the fastest of, of its generation, and everybody thought, okay, GeForce 3 is going to come out, and it's just going to blow it away. And GeForce 3 didn't. It was very, very similar <laughs> in all the games that were available at the time, and the only real area that it had an advantage in was because they implemented... You know, a true uh, multi-sampled AA unit versus what uh, the GeForce 2 was just super sampling to be able to kind of compete with with what 3DFX had uh, with their their T buffer and, and AA technology. That was um, Voodoo 4, wasn't it? Or was Voodoo 4, Voodoo 5 was the VSA 100 Voodoo scalable yeah. architecture that had the built-in uh, multi-sampling rotated grid AA. Wow. So anyway, uh, GeForce 3 was very, very similar in, in performance and sometimes a little lacking as compared to the GeForce 2 Ultra. But it delivered the first, you know, integer-based uh, shading, you know, programmability. And uh, so it was a DX8 part. It could run DX8 stuff. They had all kinds of demos out, and uh, it looked pretty. Man, you had better AA performance overall without the super sampling issue that GeForce 2 had. So this is very similar because it doesn't have really any more, you know, true shader cores as compared to the previous generation. Uh, but they do cram the engine, uh, the, the GPU with uh, the RTX stuff, uh, the machine learning stuff. I can't remember what the third. I mean, it can do uh, both floating point and 
16 and N32 at the same time. I can forget all the exact specifications, but you know, it's it's a significant improvement in overall design, but we may not see per game improvements in benchmark results. Um, the stuff that will leverage RTX will obviously, I mean, it's, it's another level of, of realism and, and neat things that you can see. Um, but one thing I don't know if, if entirely, you know, everybody kind of caught on to, but the machine learning part, and they talked about how they, you know, have all these servers in, in NVIDIA and it does, uh, you know, some machine learning is like you give it a, like a 1080p picture and it goes through this process and it blows it up to 4k and it does it in such a way that it looks like it's, it's a native 4k, but it took a lot of iterations of, of this machine learning to, to try to get it to that point. And so I think where a lot of the stuff that they're doing with the, uh, you know, the 4K performance on this is is <laughs> through a lot of the machine learning that probably the core is, is rendering stuff at a much lower resolution where it can go fast. But because it's doing this, you know, uh, deep learning, machine learning thing on the fly at 60 frames per second and, and above, um, it it looks like it's, it's running it at a native 4K to most people. Now, they're probably will be corner cases where somebody's going to run something and it looks like crap. But that's why the, the DLSS is not something that is enabled on, on all products. So it's going to be interesting to see some of the older programs being run on this card versus 1080, 1080 Ti and see where it actually shakes out because it's a lot of new tech thrown into this. It's a lot of interesting stuff and a lot of kind of, Thinking outside of the box, especially the machine learning stuff, because so they're running all these simulations and whatnot on their big, powerful supercomputers at NVIDIA headquarters, and they find some unique way of, of being able to upscale things at a much faster rate and do it much more um, realistically and, and accurately. And they, you know, you update the driver and suddenly you get this new functionality through machine learning that on your local machine running your 2080, 2080 TI, 2070. And, uh, some you have better performance and better looking image quality. And it's going to be kind of interesting to see how well they're able to implement this. And if the results are as good as what they're kind of promising. Well, that, that actually brings us up to the next article on this list here with the leaked, uh, benchmarks here. So well, it wasn't I don't leaked. think it was they're official. Leaked. They're yeah, not leaked. Oh no, well, this is they're, official. They're, okay, teased. Yeah, this, this is Nvidia's claims, right? Yes. Uh, and this is for if you're running these games and demos at 4K, uh, comparing a 1080 to a 2080, and then that brighter green bar that goes up further is if you include DLSS, uh, which would you know allow the GPU to be rendering internally at a slightly lower resolution, and then kind of, you know, blowing it up after the fact. So, Yeah, but it also does AA on it. Yes. It, it, so it makes it the, the, the image smoother as well. So you get kind of a, a double Yeah, double it's, it's almost as if you were running 4K with some sort of AA on. Yeah. Right? Deep learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so 
it, but if you just put those whiter green bars aside and kind of get rid of that for a second, you'll notice that there is, like what I was talking about earlier, roughly a 50% gain over the last generation. And that would be not doing any ray tracing, not doing any of that other stuff. So that's just purely your raster-based performance. And it's it's roughly 50% gain across, you know, just a, a sampling, pretty decent sampling of of, of things, right? Um but yeah, I mean that DLSS is pretty cool. Uh, the game has to support it, obviously, as you can note by only like some of the titles in this chart. Um, maybe some of those guys might be able to add that later. Um, we don't know, or they might be able to add it somehow in the driver so that you can like manually enable it for the game, given the way that Nvidia's driver works. Sometimes you can just turn that stuff on outside of the. Outside of the game, right? Um, I mean, you know, that that part of it's interesting. The the whole up-res thing for Ansel is interesting. Ray tracing is cool, but again, needs to be supported by the game. Um, but when it's there, looks pretty cool. Um, another thing I didn't mention earlier, uh, aspect of what ray tracing adds to it, adds to it is... Even if you're not relying on it heavily, you can at least make your lighting better, right? You can still be doing, you know, majority raster-based scene, but you can have light sources, uh, you know, lighting the objects in different ways from more than just point sources and kind of just make for a more dynamically lit kind of scene, right? You can have light bouncing off of things and... Even if you did it in a very coarse fashion that was like almost no performance hit, um, you'd still be getting probably miles better results than you than you are today with just pure straight rasterization and having add on a bunch of tricks, um, you know, to to emulate uh, kind of like more broad light sources like daylight and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, they're showing 4K games. and I still think it's kind of a cheat and we need to actually see it in person to know. But if you're able to get 4K games running at 60 hertz on, in this case, they weren't even talking about the TI. I believe they were just talking about the 2080. Um, you know, if you can get there and it looks convincing enough, then, I mean, you can call it, you can call it like they made it. Right, like they actually got to 4K 60. But again, there's going to be some a lot of interesting screenshots yeah. in between a true 4K rendering versus what DLSS does. Right, it's going to be fascinating to see the results. Yeah, there's going to be differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very much going to be like a perception type of, you know, some people might notice those differences and it might actually bother them and like to where it's not convincing to them. I'm sure that'll be a thing for at least some people. Um, but I would, I would venture a guess that for the majority of people that are just, you know, going from like your typical console gamer type that just wants to do the console gaming on a PC and isn't like freeze framing the game and analyzing every pixel on the screen. Um, you know, it's probably going to be good enough. All right. Um, I'm all for good enough. I mean, look where I'm at in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, certainly not excelling at it. 
Oh, Scott with his punny, uh, punny article names. Turing versus Volta. Two trips enter. No one dies. D-I-E-S. Spelled the same way, actually. <laughs> clever. Clever. He's punny. Very, very, very clever. Um, so uh, these trips are huge, basically. Right, Josh? Yeah, yeah, they're the. Uh, we don't know the exact size, but uh, the the uh, Turing that they showed off at uh, SIGGRAPH was seven hundred and twenty millimeter square. We don't know if the desktop variants that they've got here are going to be that big, but they're big. And the uh, previous Volta is also really large, and it has the added uh, joy of uh, HBM memory. There's that thing I was looking for earlier. Yeah. I have no idea if that's what it really looks like or if it's just a kind of structural, functional, I don't know. Anyway. I mean, I think because they were drawing boxes around different parts of this, and I think yeah. the boxes were might have been relative. But if you notice, the core structures of all of these sections are like the same, whereas <laughs> according to their labels, like a third of it is like ray tracing stuff and like a third, you know, so I doubt, yeah. I doubt the die looks exactly the same pattern. Yeah, on, on all of those areas. So they're doing a lot of different interesting things in there. So it's uh, yeah. I don't think they want it all out quite yet. They don't want the secret sauce to be released. Yep, and I don't blame them. Um, which leads to the question: What the heck is AMD going to do about this? That's a really good question because they've got what Navi uh, coming out next year. Yeah, but do we uh, really got Vega seven nanometer that is going to be for machine learning, deep learning type stuff, and that's it. Uh, right. There's not going to be any uh, consumer variants that are going to be released. So you know, RX Vega sixty four and uh, fifty six are are what we've got right now, as well as the RX five eighty five seventy five sixty. They got nothing. So you're gonna have yeah. yes. So you're gonna have this whatever this window of period of months where you might be looking at a generation here, right? But my point is, not only do you have that generation gap potentially, but you have all of this time for all of these uh, game engine developers to drool over the possibilities of the RTX stuff and probably implement it in some way, shape, or form to get a better end result. You know, even if you do it in a non-huge performance hit fashion, it's still going to be an advantage, you know, for, for the not just the game engine and the, the end result, like what's on the screen, but also... Because, you know, even with the GeForce 3, when it was released, the uh, R250 came out pretty close behind it. So, in fact, uh, the ATI... Uh, their their seven thousand series was like a pixel shader one and so I think Microsoft went with a pixel shader one point one one point two for actual DX eight capabilities. So, uh, yeah, AMD doesn't have anything that does uh, the the DXR. I think what uh, DirectX ray tracing. I can't remember the exact. My brain is, is mush anymore these days. Um, well, I mean, some of it is Vulcan compliant, which is a tiny little light shining through the window, but not a big one. Yeah. That's sort of it. Yeah, but that that's also leads into 
what I'm saying before is like, if you give it enough time, it's going to be in there probably. Right. I mean, They'll design it in eventually the, the type of support. Yeah. I mean, it's all just math. Right. True. If you support the math, it's going to work. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. But you'll want someone who can do the math in their head, not grabbing a pen and pencil and scribbling it out slowly. Sure. Yeah, you don't want the CPU doing math that the yeah. GPU can't do natively. Yeah. And we don't expect really all of this ray tracing stuff to be like lockdown proprietary type stuff, right? Like uh, the RTX stuff is. Well, but the open, you know, uh, Microsoft DirectX uh, ray tracing is 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 open for everybody to use. But which is better and which will be more supported and is it going to be another physics where it sort of is kind of a thing, but more of a dud? Or is it going to be AMD 64 where everybody just kind of tries to use it? And does it. It's what is the basis for compute. I don't know. Yeah, probably too early to tell since we haven't even. None of us on this podcast have actually watched this in person you know, so with the 10 series, they released that two years ago, maybe more, two and a half, yeah, almost. two and a half, yeah, Just like March, April, yeah, of 2016. So, NVIDIA has been sitting on the 10 series for two and a half years, yep, been selling like hotcakes, you know. Well, a good one year of that at least is the mining fiasco. Well, details, right? Yeah. So they came out with 10 series. AMD came out with Vega. Vega kind of found a bit lacking, and NVIDIA sat for six months and then sucker punched. They're, they're set for the next two years. Well, everybody thought that Volta was going to be the next thing. Nobody had any idea about Turing. I mean, there were some leaks and some 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 talk about it, but... We thought that Volta, Volta was going to be, you know, kind of the next gen for NVIDIA, and it was going to be a small improvement, and uh, wasn't going to bring anything spectacular to the table. And then suddenly, Turing and RTX. Well, I mean, maybe in a world where mining wasn't a thing, Volta might have been a thing to fill the gap. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. You know. That would have made it so that it wasn't such a huge jump going from, uh, you know, going from Pascal to this. I mean, this is a big gamble for NVIDIA because the software support may just fall on its face. People will be thinking, you know, we don't need this ray tracing thing. Uh, You know, consoles obviously don't support it and they won't for many, many years. Um, We don't want to spend the time to do you know, a PC um, version that embraces all this. And we've, you know, doubled our development time to be able to support what, you know, what it would look like. I mean, things like Battlefield 5, they've got the the personnel, they've, they've got the money, uh, they've got a lot of support from NVIDIA to integrate these, these features in, in their engine and in their final game. But not everybody's going to do it. And... I'm I'm curious to see how it it shakes out. I yeah, mean, there I, are like I do. twenty 
25 titles that supposedly support RTX, but some of those are are just DLSS support uh, and not so much the ray tracing. So yeah. I, don't, I, I do wonder what's going to happen with the console gamers that like, so in the past, if you had a game on console versus a game on PC, yeah, the PC would do it at a higher frame rate and they might've changed something a little bit with how the textures looked or whatnot, but it was usually not enormous differences, like performance differences. Sure. But not like the look of the game wasn't crazy different. Now, potentially you're going to have, you know, some game come out where you can see reflections off of the hoods of cars and crap like that. And the water is an actual reflection of, you know, what, what it's bouncing off of and like bus windows and whatever you're, Almost you're like not not almost, but actually able to look around corners, right, and actually see a guy running around the corner off of a reflection off of something in the environment, right? Versus the console version of that same thing with no ray tracing capability, like being completely different experience. Yeah, in that respect. Cool. So, I mean, what does that do? Does that push like? the console side to start looking at needing ray tracing ability and possibly even jumping over to NVIDIA moving down the road. If the push is hard enough, like if AMD can't, that's the concern, right? So it's basically where I'm going with this is AMD needs to figure this crap out quick. Well, Um, if if NVIDIA does a semi custom group, then sure. Maybe, but will they, or are they too happy with their, uh, their technology. Yeah, that's the thing. Like that's like it at you know, an Nvidia chip in a console may very well not happen. So then you're going to have this you know, the PC Master Race guys are basically going to go nuts. <laughs> I guess is where I'm going at least in the short term. Well, it admittedly <laughs> those demos are really pretty. That's the thing, right? Like I mean there were don't get me wrong, there were some of them where they were flipping back and forth and I was like, "Eh, you know, I forget, I think it was like the second example or something that was kind of like, yeah, okay, right? But then there were some that was like, oh, wow. Well, the, the Tomb Raider Shadow demo was beautiful. Yeah. Like, it was subtle, but it was pretty. Yeah. That's true. Anyway. Uh, I'm sure there will be plenty more talk about this uh, down Man, the line. We're just going to drop it. This is the last we're going to speak of it. Okay. It's overrated right. anyway. We're yeah, never yeah. going to get our hands on it. It's going to be limited edition. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one more tip on that is like, I mean, I do, I know some people that have pre-ordered it already. I've considered it myself. I thought better of it though. Because at the pre-order prices, I think that's just, that's just way too much to be asking. And it's kind of too early since there's only a limited, very limited set of things that are going to take advantage of that. Um, and you also have the, uh, advantage of probably a bunch of like, I don't know. I don't know if mining people are going to start fire selling their GPUs because of this, given that the prices are as high as they are. But once cards start coming out at the, what are supposed to be the MSRPs, when they finally come down to that level, I think that, yeah, but you've, the- you've got to have a whole bunch of software support to be able to, to, to leverage the extra potential compute performance yes. of of Turing, yes, and so it's not going to be overnight. And uh, some of the units may not necessarily be all that good for mining. 
Well, based on the mining performance, usually scales roughly proportionally to like what would be the raster performance. At least in my experience, right? You get a card with X number of cores, the number of cores. Sometimes some algorithms are more. Yeah, but uh, the, the the cores are, are are different. I mean, the machine learning stuff is is what quarter precision. Yeah, I'm not even saying. Yeah, I don't even think they're going to use any of those other cores. I'm talking just your. Um, I, I don't think you're going to get any more performance out of this than they will a a, a ten eighty ti. In in that kind that, of well, yeah, that's my point. Workflow. Like like a twenty eighty will probably be on par with a ten eighty ti. Is my point. I think until it someone invents lasts. occlusion coin, yeah, we won't, we're not going to know <laughs> until somebody gets it and tries to mine with it. Which, yeah. by the way, the software is not going to be ready. Like the algorithms, you know, are not necessarily going to be optimized to run on this hardware right out, like immediately. So, the first guy that gets it and tries to run, you know, nice hash or whatever on the thing. It might be getting numbers that you know aren't even using everything that all the hardware on the card, all the I hardware so. that it could be using on the card is my point, right? But yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Like I don't think the right tracing stuff, uh, you know, or the machine learning stuff is going to carry forward to you know any kind of profit margin for a miner on these things. Yeah, ASICs are still probably going to be better yeah. than this. Yeah. I think most of them have figured out dumping twelve hundred bucks on ASICs is going to work better. Probably. All right. So, uh, and then we have card announcements. So we've got um, Asus, uh, ROG Strix, Dual, and Turbo Series. I think the Turbo Series just has the three fan cooler, um, 2080 Ti and 2080 GPUs. Notice that these are two and a half to three slot. They're big. Those are big long cards. Yeah, it's triple oh, fan, God, yeah. triple fan, long card, and pushing three slots. Um, Did we get any kind of confirmation if that's using NVLink on the RTX cards? The two twenty eighty and TI and the TI will use NVLink. So I was totally yeah. wrong when I thought that SLI would just you know stay as as it was on the consumer and NVLink would be at the higher end. They totally kneecapped me and made me look like a fool more than mm-hmm. they usually do. Yeah. Well, J- Josh, but, I get uh, yeah, it's, it's too, I, I was pushing the same agenda. Like, there's the, no way. No the way. The 20, 2070 does not support NVLink. Really? Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. No. So it's single card only for the 70s now? Yep. So yeah. you can't uh-huh. get inexpensive dual 20 well relatively inexpensive dual 2070s it's going to be 2080s and 2080 ti's if you want multi gpu but nv link takes care of a lot of problems when it comes to multi gpu mm-hmm. it's a lot of bandwidth all right um oh well that's a Weird jump to make. Yeah. Well, is, was there anything else we need to talk about RTX? Yeah. Anything? I think we covered it. No, I think it's 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 beat to death. That's it for now. We need some actual benchmarks. We need the hardware. We need next the hardware. Month. Yeah, next month. Um, now for something completely now different. Now for something completely different. Uh, Lee and Lee making uh, RGB power cables. From Lee and Lee. Of all people. 
Did we talk really? about the Lian Lee one a couple so weeks ago? So this was, was an anti-pick of mine a while ago because they were talking about releasing them. Yeah. They weren't sure if they were going to do it. Right. Well, they did it, and they sent out a review unit. Okay. And it is every freaking bit as ridiculous as you think it would be. <laughs> Just oh. click over, and the first thing they have is a video of it going nuts. Oh, is it like individual... Like, oh, oh, you know it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. It is do, ridiculous. Do, 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 do. That's, yeah, that's just crazy. So it's a, about a, what, a six inch, a seven, eight inch extension to your ATX power supply that's bright white. Okay. And then over top of it, you clamp these clear RGB things. Mm-hmm. So it's reflecting from underneath. Okay. I get it. I can see the white cables it's, underneath. Oh, I don't get it. I see it, but I don't get it. <laughs> now, okay, so if you're into RGB lighting, that's cool. Right? Like, you know, like if you're trying to RGB light all the things in your case, that's definitely uh, a worthy addition for that particular kind of person. I am not that particular kind of person. However, like I could see the market. Speaking of market, how much is this thing? Do we know? I'm just looking up to see if we've got a price. I think it's about it's 50 what, bucks. 40 pounds if you're in the uh, so UK market. 40 pounds? That's yes. more like 60 or 70 bucks, right? Yeah. It's not cheap. Yeah, it doesn't uh, transfer directly. Yeah, that's not cheap for, um, you know. For bling. Something that's just a short extension with some lights on it. Yeah. Oh, but if normally it, 50, it's 40 bucks off. Or sorry, it's twenty percent off. It's forty bucks right now. Bucks as in dollars. Egg. Oh, yeah, new egg. Okay, well that's that's not bad. I don't know if you're the kind of person that needs this, you're going to need it. Yeah, you're going to pay whatever. And and more power to you. Now, before the podcast, I was writing up a uh, you know an an SSD that has RGB lighting, which would probably complement this thing just great. Good See? lord, the the selling page has. Poems on it. Poems? Okay. Poems. Are they poems or haikus? Glamorous neon lights effects. Like a rainbow waterfall flows. Red, orange, yellow, green, purple, blue. It is a shining rainbow from the front of the motherboard. That's not a poem. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's not a good poem. It's but not a good poem. A limerick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They hired the wrong agency to do their PR. <laughs> okay. Let's move away from that. Oh, more RGBs. They are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere. And backlighting a keyboard I'm okay with, though. All right, so uh, what is this, Jeremy? It it is that we have to come out and talk to Nate. Okay. He has a problem. What, what, What? He has a keyboard addiction. I didn't know Nate had a keyboard addiction. Okay. Oh, good God, does he ever. It, it just, they just pile and pile and pile. He spews these things out constantly. Okay. The weird thing about this one, and your new word for today, is memchanical. Uh-huh. So it's a membrane keyboard with some buckling springs on top of the membrane. What? That sounds so like a horrible idea. feels like a mechanical keyboard. It sounds like a mechanical keyboard. 
costs about the same as a mechanical keyboard, but it's got a membrane on it. Because What's, that makes sense. I guess. What's the And so the odd on thing these? with this was, <sighs> you press it, you bottom it out, and he said they, they feel a lot like the kale switches. But if you just even slightly raise your finger, uh-huh. so you've still got the key to press, but it's just the tiniest bit raised. Right. Spring disconnects, button no longer registers, you're pressing it. Okay. Hmm. I, I can see that as a strength and a weakness. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's something that I'm sure someone out there is going to love. I don't know what's wrong with that person, but I wish them all the joy in the world with them and their chroma keyed keyboard. Well, I can see if you, if you adapted yourself to it and you were trying to do like Twitch sort of gaming where you needed to be able to do rapid presses sometimes, but you also wanted oh. the mechanical keyboard, you could get, you could kind of muscle memory your way into being able to do rapid presses on what would normally be not easy to do on a mechan- like a bi-stable style, like mechanical. Uh, yeah, and you wouldn't have to press. completely let it go back to neutral. Right. To get it going. Right. Um, so the membrane is stiffer than the buckling spring when it's buckled. Well, no, it's that the membrane doesn't even get pushed in until yep. you've gone past the threshold. But then once you've passed the threshold, now it's like fully pressing a membrane key in. So then if you slightly lift up, the spring's already compressed. Like, everything's already happened in the right. mechanism. So you can kind of, like, rapid fire. Oh, so, so it's not yep. like the actuation with the old Model M's. The actual buckle doesn't no. trigger. Yeah, it just makes the sound and the feel. Yeah, because the domes are way, way at the bottom. Like, yeah. even underneath the base plate. So it's, it's like those fake air intakes on cars. No, no, I mean, like, it's, it's doing a different thing, right? So yeah, like, it, it's different. So like, yeah, it's more like vinyl. So if you had a regular buckling spring, it would have to click back for you to release the key. Right. Whereas this, you can release and then repress the key as long as you keep the key on the other side of the threshold. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's probably one of those things you have to feel to properly understand. This, and, this sounds like a compromise with trying to avoid trade-offs. Uh, yeah. Well, the problem is that it, it runs about 100 bucks. If it ran for 60 or 70 and sort of felt like a mechanical keyboard, all right, that almost makes sense to me. Yeah. But to be charging as much as a lower-end uh, mechanical, mechanical keyboard, like, yeah. I just I don't get it. But it's interesting. I mean, it's sort of like the uh, linear switch one. Uh, from the company I can't remember that the came with the, the, one the infrared it. LEDs or whatever. Wasn't uh, that what? the no, it was linear free pushing. So it would actually register the f- the further down you push, the more you like. You could walk with a light touch and run with a full. Yeah, touch. yeah. It was oh. using it was using like some sort of infrared LED thing or something. Or like you were yeah. the closer it was to the. Yeah, that was the the aim pad, wasn't it? I think so. I think that was the name. Yeah, aim or game or something. We, we, it's in the back somewhere. Yeah, yeah we got trying to hear something. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, uh, moving along. Jeremy. Jeremy. What's this smart plug connected to your idiot box? Idiot box connected to your Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi connected to the knee bone mm-hmm. thing. And everything's connected to the internet of shit. Yep. It's all a big truck. 
You know that uh, universal plug-and-play protocol that your people are supposed to remember to turn off the second they buy anything? Oh, yeah, that horrible <laughs> that hor- horrible security vulnerability <laughs> present on all generic routers? Yes. Hey, yes, that I is port that forwarded. Thing. Yeah, yeah, what just, about just, it? Just blow it to the DMZ. So, yeah, it's uh, this is a smart uh, power plug from Wemo. And so, you know, you can on your cell phone see how much power is being drawn by it or randomly turn the lights on and off on a program cycle and such. But a couple of researchers said, yeah, it's probably insecure. And they connected to it and bounced onto a Wi-Fi and started playing around with the guy's Roku. And so, yeah, yeah, guess what? It's it's a Wi-Fi gateway. And that means it plays with all of your stuff. Lovely. I love it when people get root, gain root access to devices that are also already uh, authenticated on my network. Through your power plug. Yeah. Yeah. We're living I in the future. I love the internet of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so stick to the clapper. You can't hack it. <sighs> Challenge accepted. All right. Jeremy, what are you doing gaming on the blockchain? Oh, this is now the pinnacle of ridiculousness. Uh, so if you want to become the dark blockchain master and get a million jobs at a LinkedIn because nobody knows what the hell a blockchain is, well, practice with the new blockchain tycoon game. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. Does this actually teach you how blockchain would work in a roundabout way? No, because nobody knows how that happens. Of course not. Does, does no, it this teaches you how to buy some GPUs, make enough money to buy a better HVAC system, to buy some more GPUs oh, to get enough income, switch over to A6, me? to rent a place in Russia somewhere. It's so Mining Operation can... Simulator 2020? Yes. Is that what yeah. this freaking is? Yep. <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah. You know, if, if you want... At the Wyoming uh, Hackathon or something, they're giving $5,000 away to someone who has the best idea on how to use a blockchain to do whatever. Just just $5,000? Like five grand. So if you got a great idea for how to implement blockchain for something we really need, it's money for your grabbing. Plastic but water bottles. Blockchain is just, it's just, I don't... I mean, a lot of the ideas are already, like, implemented for where it's practical, right? You know, you need a secure way of recording some information and stuff. It's good for public dog breeding. It's it's great for, like, public records and, like, you know, recording deed transfers and transactions. Things things where you don't want to be able to go back and change history easily, right? And alter records. That's a good application of it. But for everything otherwise, else, there's, it's there's just one. too compute intensive for most stuff. Yeah, it's it's a waste. I don't know. <sighs> but let Watch. me tell you, if you reach the top level of this, and you can put that on your LinkedIn, and you'll have a job tomorrow uh, somewhere. I beat. And they will pay you millions of dollars tycoon. because you say blockchain a lot. <laughs> I'm thinking of doing it. Maybe then you can say on your LinkedIn that you are a blockchain tycoon. Yes. Yeah. And you'll, just, you'll just make people drool incessantly. All right. Next thing you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's picking you up to sell jade eggs. <sighs> Any more news? No. No? no. Thank the Thank Lord. Thank goodness. Okay. 
Picks of the week. Uh, so I got tired of playing Office Space with an inkjet printer. <laughs> um, oh, good God. You went all in you know, one? The best part about Laser is the the jets don't clog. There's There is that. Yeah. Um, so I went all in one because, so here's the problem. Uh, I had a Canon, you know, some random Canon all in one, right? Apparently this is the case, not just with Canon all in ones, but a lot of all in ones is if the inkjet part of the all in one stops working for some reason, like the printhead fails, the printer, it's a zero in one, the printer. Yeah. The scanner and all the other functionality on it, which is perfectly fine because like the print had failed or something. You are uh, correct, sir. You can't use it as a scanner, even though it's a great like automatic feeding double side scanner, whatever bell and whistle was in there. Yeah. Kind of sucks. Um, you know, so when you combine that with inkjet stuff that clogs or print heads that fail, <laughs> like I was literally, I don't know. I'm beginning to think it's baked into the firmware on some of these printers because <laughs> I went two in a row and it failed. Like the, that print had failed like a month after the warranty was up. Like times two. So fool me twice, buy a laser printer <laughs> instead of the inkjet. Anyway, um, so I started researching this, and like uh, most of these color laser printers are kind of on the pricey side, especially if you want like a good all in one. And then I found that uh, these, uh, this particular model of the Canon color image class laser printer. Uh, which is like the, it's the MF 733. Like if you look at their whole line, like this one is like near the top, if not at the top of the line. And it costs the same as like several rungs lower. It's just, I guess nobody was buying it for the price they wanted to sell it for, which was like, I think almost double like three, I think it was like closer to five or 600 bucks. Um, and just nobody, they just weren't moving apparently because now they're available. Like when I ordered mine, it was like three thirty. Now it's 300 for this thing. With a three-year warranty that it comes with, which is better than warranties on most of the inkjets, because nobody nope. dares sell an inkjet with a three-year warranty because there's no way it's going to last that long. <laughs> 90 days, usually. <laughs> um, and uh, the scanner, uh, the difference between the 733 model and like the one lower, which I think is 731, is the scanner can actually scan both sides simultaneously. It doesn't have to feed the paper through twice. So it'll double-side scan, like, almost faster than it can double-side print, uh, which is pretty darn handy, especially if you have people in your house trying to, you know, get their advanced degrees and stuff and doing a lot of printing and whatnot. And as I've noticed, like, when you go to print something on this, the paper's out of the printer within, like, a few seconds. Not like, oh, it's going to sit there and, like, unclog itself or purge something or clean the print head or whatever it just you want to print to it and it just it prints and it just like works anyway that, that's a rare thing in modern technology yeah and this one actually seems to be low enough power consumption like usually laser printers you don't plug them into ups they always have warnings <laughs> on them right <laughs> I inadvertently plugged this one into my UPS, the same as on my desktop, and it didn't even, like, beep at me when it was printing. So that was surprising. So somehow they made a reasonably power-efficient all-in-one laser printer. I mean, this is a $300 color laser multifunction. Yeah. Um, 
I bought a black and white Samsung laser uh, 13, maybe 14 years ago. It was three bills. Yeah. Never had a trouble with it. It just keeps working. That's the thing. Right? I love laser printers. They're wonderful. Uh, and the other thing that I researched along with this is you can get away with uh, third-party toner way easier than you can get away or not get away with third-party ink mm-hmm. for inkjet printers, especially like third-party pigment inks, which I have personally completely trashed a inkjet printer by using third-party ink when the pigment ink like dried up inside Ooh, inside yep. the purged lines and stuff on the printer. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had completely field stripped an inkjet printer down to nothing, and had to like I was running alcohol through these little rubber hoses <laughs> to try to, and actually having to like squeeze the hose and like break the dried up ink. I back mean, if up. you got nothing to do for a couple of days, that'll work. That's pretty but, much what that was. It was like I mean, it was like a seventy dollar printer. I spent way more than seventy dollars worth of my time just screwing with that thing. But um, it's the principle. It was the principle of thing. I was not going to let that printer beat me and then eventually it got thrown in the trash <laughs> replaced with another one of the same model which only lasted a year and one month so so who won uh the printer won two times uh hopefully the same doesn't happen with this and if it does well as long as it does it within three years you know i feel better <laughs> um but still 300 bucks for uh, and i mean like the i thought like the, the color wouldn't be that great you know, I thought the scanner wouldn't be that great. And it does this calibration routine, which I don't know if any of you guys have, have had any experience with these newer ones, yeah. but like yep. it, it prints out a sheet. You run that sheet. It's got all the different color bands on it. And you run that sheet through the scanner. And then it prints out another sheet. And you run that one through the scanner. And after I did that pr- uh, procedure, I couldn't tell the difference on uh, the, the initial print that it had calibrated off of versus... I took that same sheet and I ran it through the copier and it printed out a copy of it and it was like basically identical, right? It was, and it was a color copy. It was pretty damn good. Um, and the colors are vivid and it's like, yeah, it's apparently color laser printing has come a long way. Looks pretty darn good. Anyway, uh, next up. Who's next? Jeremy's next. Jeremy's next. Am I next? Didn't you just pick? Oh, no, that was a cooler. Okay. That was a cooler, but this goes with it because I got to tell you, one of my favorite things about this body upgrade is a case that can fit 14 centimeter fans. 14 it's centimeter fans? 140 millimeter if you prefer. Oh, okay. It's so much better. Like, yeah. Just <laughs> stupidly quieter. <laughs> <laughs> I, these have the, the uh, ULN adapters. I said I'll install them without it first just to see how it is. I'm not going to install them. I don't need to. This yeah. thing at 100% load with the GPU too, like the, the Boink going 100% CPU and 100% GPU full out. I can't hear it. I am peeking around the corner to make sure the damn thing's still on. It, it's ridiculously lovely Uh, the the extra bit of size just drops the noise ridiculously and we used to be able to hear your pc running on this podcast (laughs) so i've noticed i mean part of that was because it was a nzxt hutch so i mean in theory it was supposed to be sound dampened but it was just mostly insulation Uh uh-huh 
So now that it's hidden out in the kitchen, I've got it under a table and protected, and I have the side off of it, and it sounds much better. I see. But even still, it's louder than this one is. <laughs> right? Just idling, it's almost louder than this thing is going. Uh, it's it's craziness. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can't have a little tiny case uh, unless you go really, really oddly built. And this particular case, uh, the Rise that I got, it's got seven fans in it. So they're just slowly spinning just enough to keep everything happy and no noise at all. The only thing I don't like about Noctua fans is they charge a premium for black. (laughs) They do. It's just like, I just want black fans in the case. I don't want like, you know, racist, white brown, (laughs) the puke. (laughs) It is kind of like a, yeah, no, it's it's more like what I clean up out of the cat box, but that's okay. You, you know. need to take your cats to the vet because that ain't. Yeah, right. I was gonna say your cats are really sick. <laughs> no, he's just old and because uh, hmm. that's not what my cat's litter box looks like at all. <sighs> Biohazard in the chat saying the black fans are different. I'm not talking about the higher RPM other ones. They also make you can also find like the standard low RPM yeah, versions. Pretty much, uh, you can find them in black. It's just. They're either hard to find or they don't make them in all of the lines necessarily. Anyway, uh, Josh, me, mm-hmm. you know what? I, I stumbled back across this and then it was a fantastic series at the time. If you enjoy Bruce Campbell and Western and sci-fi and funny, this is it. Briscoe County Jr. The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Get it on DVD. You'll enjoy it. You'll watch it again couple of times 30 bucks it's a lot of entertainment i'm surprised it's not on any kind of streaming thing because it was no doubt it's really fantastic hmm yeah that's what i was just going to ask if it was on any uh any streaming services but no it's 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 not sometimes you just gotta get the dvd and fortunately for josh he still yeah, it's, has it's, a dvd well, player it's, it's in 1993 his PC. so it's <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I do have opticals, so screw you all. Yes, Josh still has opticals, so he can. He's the only person on this podcast that has a thing that he could plug these DVDs into. (laughs) That's not true. Oh, I've got one as well. You put one in your new machine, Jeremy? Hell yeah. Oh, wow. Alan, you're the exception here. You you kicked the tariffs and. Sorry. Installed one, didn't you? Oh, wait, no, you're in Canada, so you don't have tariffs. Never I mean, mind. I do have. Well, a- no, we do have those tariffs too up here. They're slightly different, but the same. I just oh. reused it because I retired my old uh, Q6600, which is was still going strong, crazily enough. Uh, that's one hell of a chip. But now that I retired it, it's like yoink, grab the optical out of that, put it in this thing, and I'm happy Voila. as a clown. I mean, I do have like an emergency optical drive and a USB enclosure and a drawer next to my desk, but I don't think I've opened that drawer in several years anyway <laughs> i even have uh, an adapter series. for an old three and a half inch drive i did not install that but I could. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to hear that thing buzz back and forth every time you turn your pc on jeremy <laughs> okay uh oh yeah oh yeah that's okay Alex. So, so yeah, I have I have an anti-technology pick this week. That is definitely well. No, there's technology there. No, no, this this is circa 1984. Yeah, 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 five yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah, maybe early 80s. Early 80s. Yeah. We we'll call it early 80s. So I've been working on a big block Chevy, 
um, for reasons, and I've been having trouble with it. And I finally just said, as one does, <laughs> as one does. But I've been having all sorts of issues with this thing, and I it's finally, called a street fire. It is a street fire. So I felt like that I, does not sound good. This is not the best title for <laughs> something the for what they ever do for a car part. So the distributor. Well, what does it do? Well, I catch it, fire on the street occasionally. Fire. You know. Um, so so GM came up with the HEI back in the eighties, and I got so sick and tired. Hold on, we have computer people on this podcast. Oh, high yeah. energy ignition. Yes, high energy ignition. And anyway, I got stuck in traffic next to the studio when I took the car out a couple months ago, and I cooked it. I cooked the plug wires. I cooked the coil. It was bad. And I finally just said, screw it, I'm buying new ignition. Uh, you can get cheap HEIs from China for 50 bucks, But as someone who's had to rebuild two motors because of sheer distributor shafts, I'm not going to pull that crap. Um, this is a nice middle ground. It's $150. Bucks. Uh, the bill at racing distributors are 450 Oof. Yeah. Uh, so there, this is a sale. This is a sale. This Compared is a, to that. This is a bog standard gm hei distributor which will use they can use on any motor it's pretty billet everything's new i plugged it in and it just worked sweet i like when things just work yeah that's very nice yeah look at that helical gear at the bottom yeah i yeah, know yeah. isn't it pretty well, that's because the shaft that's turning it is turning 90 degrees to it so there's yeah and and this is I so- don't, well that's 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 a helical <laughs> gear yeah. Yeah. It's like you're never mind. What? Nothing. It's a, it's a heel. Yes, it's a helical gear. Nothing. <sighs> okay. You're giving him the vapors. Wait a minute. What, you, you got two picks? Well, there's a two parter for this. If you want to actually get it dialed in, you need the weight kit. Oh, you got to add, you got to do, you got to mod your. Oh, you, yeah. You gotta spend an extra twenty bucks on that hundred and fifty dollar thing. I'd, I'd rather spend twenty bucks and get the right parts than have to dig around for three hours trying to find a spring. Oh, okay, fair enough. My my time is worth more than seven dollars an hour. So back in the day, you used centrifugal force and springs. Yep. To figure out how much advance on your ignition. And if you need to take some advance out, you ground down the weights. You ground down the weight, or you change the spring. Yep. Anyway. It was a simpler world. Oh, back when I yeah, got in a lot of trouble for uh, making a comment about what happens if you do the opposite of advance it. North Ranger in the chat is saying yeah, that... it. North Ranger yeah. in the chat is saying that this weight got kit... got in some trouble for that. This weight kit is DLC for your distributor. <laughs> now, we've, now we've got, what, phasers and oil pressure and advancing. It just... The cam timings, yeah, like it, everything's moving around. You got four cams moving different. You got your crank sensor, and then your coil packs just fail on you. Yeah, yeah, you know about that, Alan, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, enough of that. Um, I guess that wraps it up. Uh, piece of com slash podcast. Show notes. Alex, are you coming in tomorrow? Yeah. All right, so this episode will be up tomorrow. Of course uh, it'll be up tomorrow. And, um, yeah, I mean, I guess 
with that, uh, look forward to way more uh, Turing discussions in the future at a minimum next week because I know Ryan and Ken were doing the crazy deep dive on all the stuff, which I'm not sure what the NDA is on. So maybe Ryan and Ken will be able to talk more about it next week. Uh, or maybe they won't be able to talk about it until uh, until the launch. What's the actual launch date? 20th? Yeah. September 20th? September 20th. Yep. So we're not sure how the dates are and the rollout of the discussion and all the stuff that happened at the editor's day out there. But anyway, with that uh, dream of faster GPUs, I guess. And uh, good night, everybody.